All right. I don't know about you guys, but any time I turn up on, uh, on a Sunday morning, I always wonder what the service is actually going to be like. Whether, whether we're going to end up having a very sort of like quiet or deep or reflective or serious kind of service, or whether it's going to be haphazard or whether it's going to be fun or exciting. Andy, yes, I love your shirt. Good morning. Um, sorry, let's pray first. This is a haphazard morning, I think. Father God, we thank you for 2014, and we're going to say thank you now because we don't know what sort of year we're getting. But Lord, this morning we also thank you for 2013. And for everything that went on and for how difficult it was, Lord, we thank you that we, that we made it, that we're here. And Father, this morning, as we open up your word, as we, as we come before Scripture to present ourselves, to be transformed by it, Lord, I ask that you would, you would really call to mind what you want to come out of it. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be both thankful as well as anticipating what you want for this next 12 months. We dedicate this time to you, Lord. Amen. All right, 2014. Are we there yet? This is not a trick question. Yes, okay, cool. 2014, you guys... That we, we could get t-shirts, 2013 Survivor, that you guys went through everything that happened last year, and we're going to cover some things that happened last year, and you guys have made it out the other end. First thing, who, who can tell me what this is about? Who doesn't want to tell me what this is about? Okay, all right, moving on. Now, we remember we, we talked about politics, and this is... Interesting, non-committal response. Um, flooding all over the world, particularly if you remember back to the start of last year in Queensland. Tropical cyclone, I forget the name of it, but it'll come around again at some point. Um, made landfall in Queensland and there was huge widespread flooding. Um, as well as in the Philippines. I actually do have the name of the one written down that was in the Philippines. No, I don't. I deleted it because I couldn't pronounce it. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, and the, for the first time since uh, 1415, a pope stepped down rather than just died. So at the moment, we still have two, two popes living at the Vatican. Well, we don't have two popes. The Catholics have two popes living at the Vatican um, who both answer to the name of pope, which is quite peculiar. But we have a pope who is now washing people's feet and going out onto the streets at night without permission from the Vatican to feed the hungry. About jolly time. And at least two asteroids that could have destroyed the planet um, passed within 27,000 kilometres of where we live. And these, these are photos of the Philippines here. And that was the satellite picture of a super typhoon. Other things that happened in 2013, China landed a rover robot on the moon. Nelson Mandela passed away, as did Margaret Thatcher. Uh, we had the conflict in Syria escalate over allegations of chemical weapons. The Egyptian army ousted uh, President Mercy. For the first time, scientists successfully cloned human stem cells and there was a little girl who was born without an esophagus, and at two years of age, she had an esophagus put.
put in by surgery, which was made only um, out of tissue that had been grown from cloned human stem cells. So we're now at that point. So if you have a kidney or if you have a liver, technically, scientifically, it is possible for, for them to take from your skin um, cells to create in a lab artificial stem cells, which are your artificial stem cells, and then to grow you a new kidney or liver or bladder or, in this case, esophagus. Interesting. Um, the Boston Marathon bombing was 2013. There were 130 wildfires across Australia's east coast in January of last year, if you remember. Lance Armstrong actually coming clean was just last year. Ah, Queensland, it was Cyclone Oswald. North Korea had a successful test for a nuclear weapon. A two-year-old girl in the US also became the first child born with HIV to be cured. She currently has no signs of HIV in her body. The world's first smelling TV screen was unveiled in Japan. It's a bit different to curing HIV. And closer to home, some of the things that, that happened around here um, at KBC last year, we worked the whole way through the Sermon on the Mount. We worked the whole way through James's letter. Then we did five weeks of big elephant topics. And in between, we talked about salvation, baptism, death, the laying on of hands, the book of Ruth, many other topics. If you remember, we blacked out the entire church for Easter. We had visits from Rob Adams, David Cummings, Paul Craig, Mike Field, Ian Johansson, Ross Henderson, Drew Chislett, as well as... Russian pastors, as well as having a Passover feast, as well as visits from Voice of the Martyrs and sermons from Ken Franz and David Senator, as well as others. And just at Christmas, we handed out as a church 26 Christmas hampers. 2013 was a big year. We had a few things on. But I think 2014 is going to be an even bigger year. And we'll get to why in a little while. But I want to start by asking a question. Was 2013 a success? Was 2013 for you a success? And straight away, there's, there's all of these very intellectual people who are in this room who are going, well, that depends on how you define success. It, it, Bob, you're raising more questions than you're answering right now. And it's true. How do you define success? If we're going to look back in 12 months' time at 2014 and go, oh, Lord, thank you for that year, it was a success, how are we actually going to measure this thing? How are we going to measure success? When we look back at 2013, how do you gauge the success of things like discipleship or, or getting near to Christ? Success depends on what you're wanting to achieve, does it? Success compared to what? What if we rephrase the question? Was 2013 a success for your personal spiritual journey with Jesus? To what extent is success still measured against us achieving particular things? I don't know where your brain goes when you talk about success. My brain generally goes to the events of last year, the things which we achieved, the work which we got done, things that are measurable, you know, key performance indicators, things where we can go, okay, we can plot this on a graph somehow. I don't know how you plot hampers on a graph, but you can. I have a tendency to look at success with regard to measurables. The problem is your relationship and my relationship with God is not based on measurables, generally. 
So if right now we think about our relationship with God to go, okay, how does God feel about me right now? If I think back to the last 12 months, does my brain start filling with things I shoulda, woulda, coulda, had, or mighta done? Or does my brain fill with other things? How, how am I gauging the success of last year? It's very easy for us to jump to ways of measuring things. It's easy to look around at where we are or where we want to be in 12 months' time and think that we're not measuring up. And New Year's resolutions, I don't know if you make them anymore. It's interesting. For, for every person that I've chatted to or seen conversations happen with where the person is saying, ah, oh, I've made a New Year's resolution. Someone else is like, New Year's resolutions are so stupid. They're useless. We should never do them. Completely avoid them. And, and there's this thing of going, okay, but there's a thing that happens around New Year's Eve and New Year's Day in the first week of the new year where we cut ourselves some slack generally and we go, okay, all right, right now, perhaps because I've had way too much sugar but I have enough energy to make a decision to actually change my behavior for the better. And this actually goes one of two different ways. The first way is that you put something in place which is completely unachievable but is very poetic or, or very fashionable or you go, hey, I'm going to join a gym, I'm going to go to the gym every morning of the week and, and I'm going to get incredibly fit and strong and healthy and this will be the year that it happens. And then it doesn't happen that way. Or alternately, you cut yourself some slack at the, at the start of the new year and you go, cool, I'm going to resolve to, to quit this thing. Maybe it's smoking, maybe it's drinking, maybe it's a bad behavior, bad relationship, maybe it's your job, maybe it's something else. Rather than taking something on, maybe it's giving something up and you go, cool, I'm going to not do this thing anymore. Maybe that's the way it goes, but you end up being chipped away so you don't fall flat on your face straight away. But the decision still doesn't end up being something which is sustainable in the long term. And these are the sorts of decisions which people around us, you know them, I know them, maybe it's you, maybe it's me, end up making at the start of a year just for, for whatever reason because we have enough energy to do it or we have been off work for 10 days and we have enough mental clarity to go, you know, I actually don't like where I'm at. I'm going to change something about my life. If you remember last year, there was, there was a sermon which we did called Cookies and the Human Heart. And I quoted a lot of Soren Kierkegaard, who was a Christian thinker. And he talked about this idea, and we're going to look at it a little bit this morning, of if you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, and maybe that looks like, New Year's Day, where you go, you know what, I weigh too much. Or maybe it's, oh, I'm not in a good relationship. Maybe it's any of those things we just talked about. Maybe that's what the cookie jar looks like, where circumstance and situations have all conspired against you and you are faced with the reality of where you are. And on that basis, you decide to make a change. Kierkegaard's argument was this. He says, if you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar... And you say, I'm not going to eat cookies anymore. I'm not going to steal cookies from the cookie jar anymore. That that decision is coming from the situation around you. It's not something which has risen from deep within you. It's not a heart-oriented decision. It's a haphazard decision. And the haphazard decision won't have long-term change. Because when your circumstances change again, in a couple of months' time where you no longer have the energy where you no longer have the clarity of mind, things are going to go back to the way they are. 
So we come back to this question to go, okay, Lord, how am I going to look at 2013 as a success or try and measure out 2014 to be a success when I have all of these things working against me? Well, we're still talking about measurables, aren't we? If you're thinking about what you want to do differently in 2014, are you still thinking about measurables? Are you still thinking about, oh, 2014, I want to get closer to God. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to pray more. I've got to have a quiet time more. I've got to do all of these things more, 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 more. Should, 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 should. Are you still thinking about measurables? We'll get to them. It's a really easy mental knot to get caught in. You remember when we looked at James, and James was all about two things. Do you remember the two things James was all about? I'll give you a hint. One of them was cause, and the other one was effect, cause and effect. Every single thing that we looked at in James came back to, Jesus is at work in you. Okay, how is that changing your behavior? Now, when we bring this equation to thinking about last year and thinking about new year and thinking about the change that we want to happen in our life, Sometimes we go, okay, Jesus is in me, therefore my behavior is supposed to change. That's, that's a very simple equation, okay? And I believe it's scriptural and I believe it's true. If Jesus is in you, your behavior will change. Your values will change. Your identity will change. Everything about you will be transformed. But when we look at ourselves and we go, mm, I'm dissatisfied, sometimes we add something else into this equation which biblically is not supposed to be in this equation, at least not in a large amount. And it's a little thing called effort. If Jesus is in me, then the change that needs to happen in me is centered around who? Jesus. But sometimes I go, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm just getting really fed up with where I'm at. Tell you what, I'm going to add to all the transformation which God is already doing in my life I'm going to add all of these other activities. And so now maybe I start reading my Bible every day for four hours. Maybe I start having a two-hour quiet time every morning. Maybe I start doing a whole bunch of things which on the surface look healthy. But now my mental state, now when I think about how I'm going, now when I think about success, success is no longer based on what Jesus is doing in me. Success is based on all of the activities even if they're Christianese type activities, all of the, the energy and all of the activity which I am generating in myself. And you can end up burning yourself out doing Christian type things for God in order to have a sense of assurance which ultimately is based on yourself. Now, I know you guys are perfect and have never wound up in this place, but some of us have. There was a lady I went to chat to one time because my brain was full and it was starting to affect other things going on in my life. And I sat down and chatted with this lady who was a short, non-practicing Catholic psychologist, as you do. And she said, Bob, you've got burnout. And I said, that's impossible. I'm far too young to have burnout. And she said, I've seen 14-year-old kids with burnout. You're not too young to have burnout. And so she started asking me about all these different activities I was doing in my life. And all of them really were ministry-oriented activities. They were Christian-type activities. They were things which were good on the surface. They were helping people. They were looking after people. They were things which, if you looked from the outside at me, you would say, wow, that person is succeeding in their faith because they were measurable things 
to do with success. And she said, oh, this activity, that activity. Why, why are you doing this activity? Bob, do you actually have a hobby? What do you actually enjoy doing? I said, I like motorbikes. She said, cool. What do you do in your entire life that has anything to do with motorcycles? And at the time I said, nothing. Absolutely nothing. She said, oh, all right. Why don't you have a hobby to do with motorcycles? And I said, oh, well, what, I, what I've decided is I'm going to give up doing these things that I love and I'm going to fill that space with more ministry. That's essentially what I said to her. And she said, okay, that's, that's very noble of you, but why? And we talked and we talked and we talked, and eventually we got back to this thing of reassurance. It was because I wanted to keep reassuring myself that I was succeeding in my walk with Jesus. And I was using a multitude of activities to shore up the, own se- the, the sense of security which I had. My sense of security, my walk with Jesus, wasn't based on Jesus anymore. It was based in my own energy and effort. Now, again, I know you guys are perfect. So just take this as a strange example. But she asked me a question which undid me. She said, okay, Bob, you're giving up things that you love and enjoy, things which you are passionate about in order to do more ministry for God. Tell me something. Where in your life is there joy? And I said, well, that's the problem I have at the moment. My brain is so full. I don't find joy in anything I do. And I'd gotten to the point where I didn't have joy spending time with my family anymore. And she she asked me this question. She said, Bob, is joy a sin? I said, no, of course not. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is right in the mix there. Of course joy is not a sin. She's like, well, why have you made it a sin? How have you ended up so desperate for reassurance, so desperate for a sense of success that you have made joyous sin and filled your life only with more work and activity? Now, when we as Protestants come to talking about salvation, sometimes we go, oh, it's glad that we're not like some of those other forms of Christianity where they have to work for their salvation. And we say, oh, when we do works as Christians, it's because we are saved. So all of the activity that we do is out of a sense of great joy and excitement. You know, we do works on the other side of salvation. Doesn't work that way. The answer doesn't fit. If you end up having reassurance because of the works that you do, because of the activities that you're doing. So this year, when you think about the activities that are being mapped out, here's my question for you this morning. Are you only doing those activities because it's going to reassure you that you're doing well? Because if the reassurance of success, if the reassurance of your salvation is based in any activity of yours, then you and I both have got our eyes off Jesus. There's a passage of scripture that we're going to have a look at this morning. If you've got a Bible, please turn to John chapter 15. I've got the text up here. This is from the NIV. And this morning I'm going to give you a silly example. First silly example of 2014. John chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Or if you have a King James, it will probably say vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And that was my fear. Lord, I want to bear fruit for you. I don't want to get cut off. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. If you've got a King James, it'll say abide in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Silly picture. I have in my hand... A wooden branch. Now it's been painted. Can everyone see what this is? Good. This is a wooden branch. It is actually timber. Now, is this branch, I'll stand back up here. Is this branch alive? Not a trick question. No, the branch is not alive. Now let's imagine, and we would need one heck of a vine dresser, that someone comes along, makes an incision onto the side of a tree, properly prepares it with all the right goo, and then we attach this branch to a tree. What would need to happen in order for this branch to become fruitful? First of all, a miracle, I know. (laughs) But there's there's this stuff that flows up and down in trees called xylem and phloem, which were the two coolest words in high school biology. And xylem and phloem is where essentially the the blood and the nutrient equivalent that happens in trees floats around and where trees transport stuff inside of trees. Now, in order for this branch to bear fruit, something of the life of the tree has to move into the branch. Make sense? All right. Now, if this branch becomes fruitful... Where is the credit due? Whose fruit is it? It's the trees. It's not the branch's fruit. Branch had nothing to do with it. Because the branch on its own is dead. So if I want to be fruitful, if I want to be successful, if I want to look back in 12 months time at 2014 and say, wow, Lord, that was such a fruitful year. That was such a successful year. Lord, wow, I really saw your glory at work. The single most important thing is the connection between me and the tree. Could it actually be that simple when Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit? See, the the things when I actually switch my brain on properly, the things which really excite me about last year was the way that the life of Christ 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father started moving through the people in this church, you and me together, and where we got involved in different things, where I got to catch up with people who were doing RE. I got to catch up with people who are in the craft group, with people who are involved in different sports here in town, in different clubs, and chat to people about the conversations they got to have because that's where the fruit is happening. That's what success is. Was 2013 a successful year? Yeah. We had a fair amount of abiding going on. We had a fair amount of remaining going on. Silly picture. It is easy to live as guilty Christians. It's easy to get caught in the trap of not doing enough for God. We set it for ourselves. You know, if you were in an accident and you lost your limbs and your voice, if you lost part of your mind, if you lost the ability to communicate, if you lost the ability to achieve anything physically which this world says we need to achieve, would God love you any less? Would Jesus love you any less? Would the Father or the Spirit love you any less? It's really easy for us to get caught up in this lie, even in the life of the church, that we are only as good as we function or only as good as we physically achieve. For some people, last year was a year of not feeling like anything was achieved. Last year was a year of feeling distant from God. For some people, last year was very, very hard. 2013 is the year they want to forget. 2013 is the year everything went wrong. The year of feeling gutted, chewed up and spat out. The year of going backwards. The year of making mistakes. The year of nearly throwing the towel in. The year where other people got hurt. Where the mess was my mess. But it can still be seen as a year of success if we abide. And we don't know what 2014 is going to throw at us. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how many of us are going to be sitting here again in 12 months' time. I want 2014 to be a year of success. But the recipe for that is not specific programs or activities. The recipe for that is abiding. And it makes sense, really. What if Jesus is more interested in your character than in your activity? Well, that sounds biblical. That he's more interested in who you are than in what you do. He's more interested in why you're doing something than in how you're doing something. I had a mentor. I think I've shared this story before some years ago, Bob Callaghan. And he was called Bob the Elder and I was Bob the Younger. And we were supposed to catch up regularly, so we caught up twice. And in the middle of a whole bunch of stuff that was happening, I sat down with him. He said, Bob, how are you actually doing? How do you think you're traveling at the moment? And I said, I feel like I'm in the desert. Everything's dry. I feel distant from God. I've got way too many things going on. And, and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. And he said, oh, really? Well, what do you think we should do in order to correct this? How do you think we should fix this? 
And I leapt straight in with all of my best Christian answers. I need to pray more. I need to, I need to get into scripture more. I got to read more. I, I got to catch up and do more prayer meetings. I got to do all these sorts of things. And those things were already happening, but I thought, you know what? I'll just add some adrenaline to them and it'll be fine. And he said, really? Have you considered sitting by the oasis? And it's really irritating when at about 20 years of age, someone who's at that time, he would have been in his mid-80s, says something incredibly wise that undoes you. And I sat there and I didn't have an answer for it. Because the thought of actually just sitting and spending time with God was so foreign to me. That the picture that I had of God was that he wanted me to do more things and that would make him more happy with me. Rather than that he wanted me to abide in him. The single most fruitful thing you can do in 2014 is to abide in the vine. Now, I think 2014 is going to be a much bigger year than 2013. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us. For the time that you've given us together. And Lord, we really hope that you come back before the end of next year or the end of this year. That would be really cool. But Father, we are going to go through this next 12 months seeking first and foremost you and you alone. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would have us on this, on this course for this next 12 months, Lord that we would seek you, nothing beside you, nothing next to you, not you plus other things, but you and you alone. And Lord, that as we seek you, you would guide us. You would guide our steps. You would lead us. That you would cause your life and your spirit to flow through us and to bring about the fruitfulness in our lives and in this church and in this town and region but that it would be for your glory, Lord. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us to trust in your sufficiency, to not fill our lives with activity because we doubt you or we fear you or we won't take you at your word, that your sacrifice is sufficient. Lord Jesus, I have this, this prayer above everything else. Would you make this year the year that you show us more of you, that you show us your heart. Lord Jesus, would you give us your heart this year more than anything else? And in your precious name we pray. Amen.